0: I had to go to the dentist for some work and some dental surgery and this dentist started calling me every name in the book because I was busy vomiting with a severe headache and he he felt he was being ripped off, he wasn't going to make his funds for that visit. Uh, A pretty arrogant individual Um, and I know a lot of dentists and they're pretty nice. So this was a very abusive person. But the more he was abusive, of course, the worse I got, and the more I'd start vomiting. And finally he said to me, you know that there's no cure for this. You're a physiologist. Figure it out yourself. So I went home furious, of course, but that man did me the greatest benefit of my whole life. He made me think.
1: Welcome to the Terry Talks Podcast, featuring concussion expert Terry Moore. This podcast is brought to you by MMTR, a research-based physiotherapy clinic in Guelph, Ontario, specializing in post-concussion treatment. On this podcast, we'll discuss the research that led to Terry's revolutionary approach to treating concussions, we'll talk chronic pain, arthritis, and what it's like to give someone their life back. But first, Terry talks about what led him to start working with people suffering from concussions. I'm Brian Goman, and this is Terry Talks.
0: Well, I'd like to say it was a straight-line journey, but it wasn't. Uh, It actually started because I had a myriad of severe symptoms that impacted every aspect of my life. Uh severe headaches. Some were migraine-like, some weren't. But basically, I had headache all the time. I was often dizzy and nauseous, could spend hours at a time vomiting. And it didn't leave much for normal life. And I had problems reading. And if you're in graduate school, if you have a problem reading, you have a big problem. So it was a matter of I found I couldn't Perform my grad studies well. I, I found that I really didn't have a life. Uh, I couldn't have any real enjoyment in life. It took all of that away from me. I'd been told that as a young teenager that I had a form of arthritis. Um, and so I'd put it down to, well, maybe that was the cause, but didn't really think of what caused that. But when you're in grad studies, of course, all you do is ask why. So I started to actually look back and go, okay, so I have ankylosing spondylitis. But how does that relate to all these migraines and this dizziness and nausea, this inability to sleep? What's the relationship? So it got so that really I was in eMERGE three times a week and they said we can't control your pain so we'll just knock you out for 12 hours it was fairly common at the time i had to carry my letter for x amount of demerol and they just knocked me out and then you would spend the next day as a zombie and the day after you were back in eMERGE it wasn't a very pleasant life and i decided grad school is great but what i need more than that is a life (laughs) So that's actually what drove me.
1: And so this is in sort of your your mid 20s or so when you're when you're going through this.
0: Uh, By that point, it was mid 20s. But this actually started in my teenage years.
1: The the pain and the migraines and things like that. Those types of symptoms. At that time, when that started happening, like you said, somebody gave, gave you a diagnosis and said arthritis. Yes. At the time in your teens, did you did that make sense to you or?
0: It didn't make sense to me, but it's what I was experiencing. But it, it didn't really make sense to me. And that's the part that bothered me. It was like, OK, yes, my neck is fused and they could say that and they've done mm-hmm. the x-rays uh, and my lower back was fusing. It's just that what occurs with that type. But what I noticed, the main symptom was muscles tightening. But I just accepted it and they said, don't exercise, you have fragile bones, so please don't exercise. Don't be involved in things. Well, for someone who loves swimming and hiking, that's a pretty hard and bitter pill to swallow. But over time, what I saw was I was getting worse. So by following their advice, I was actually getting significantly worse constantly, and getting more and more pain, more and more headaches. So that just didn't make sense to me. So by the time I was doing my PhD, I was like, that might be the advice, but it is making me worse. And if I'm going to be in pain, why shouldn't I at least do some of the things I enjoy? So I would swim, and I'd go to the weight room. Uh, I spent a lot of time there. I'd be swimming five days a week and in the gym uh, three days a week. And strangely enough, the pain started to decrease. And after that, it was all about, I look at muscles. I'm looking at why they contract. How can I alter the contractions? And that's actually when I looked back at my master's research and the PhD research I was doing. That's what actually turned my life around because suddenly then i was interested in how can i alter this so what do i have to look at and i thought well i'm looking at a specific pathway how do i alter it and i knew i could alter it by specific electrical stimulation patterns i started to mimic them because i had actually literally measured those in students when i had needle electrodes in their legs i could mimic it in myself I reduced the inflammation and the muscles would relax. And suddenly I realized I can start altering the actual pain, the inflammation myself, just by what I've learned that the body actually does. That's what's really started me on my quest to get rid of all of these symptoms and how do I change people's lives? So I had opened a clinic, and it was mainly for people who had chronic headaches and chronic pain. That was my interest, because that's what my whole life had been about, is chronic pain and headaches. So as you work with them, I found that I could moderate these pathways. I could teach them specific exercises. And soon then I realized, oh... That muscle doesn't just reduce pain, it actually reduces, say, nausea or dizziness. And you start to actually recognize patterns. And I started to recognize all these individuals were people who had had concussions.
1: you open up this this clinic mm-hmm. and the focus is really on helping people alleviate alleviate pain, alleviate headaches. These are the symptoms that you're dealing with. Yes, and that you've experienced and you're starting to realize, "Hey, I can get rid of these symptoms." But when did you start to make that connection with where are these
0: symptoms coming from and where did you connect that to concussions? Probably within the first one to two years, I started to realize a high percentage of people who had these chronic, severe headaches, ones that were abnormal compared to the general populace, they had all had concussions. And that's when their severe headaches and nausea and dizziness, they were more extreme than others. I started to see those individuals. And it didn't really matter how long they'd had. They might would had people that had them 20, 30 years before but they put up with them ever since. And it had pretty horrific effects on their personal and professional life. And you could change it. So I realized, no, this is a function of muscle. So what actually ultimately caused this had to have been a muscular injury. I couldn't change anything about the brain per se, as far as I viewed it, but I could alter the results of the concussion.
1: So it was really that pattern of just seeing the people come in. You knew it was a muscular thing. Had anyone really made that connection yet at this point?
0: Oh, no, it took them decades to get to that point, And they're still even arguing that now.
1: So when is, yeah, and I want to get to sort so of So that would we be are.
0: 29 years ago.
1: Okay. What was the, med- the medical community's view of concussions? At
0: a that brain point? injury. It was viewed as strictly a brain injury. And at that time, it wasn't even viewed as particularly important. It was, you know, you had your bell rung, so to speak. Right. And no one paid much attention to it at that time. He was just like, well, yes, you may have headaches afterwards, but that's okay. And that was really the view. It was, uh, because it wasn't life-threatening, it was viewed as a bit of a also there and don't really worry about it, a pat on the shoulder. Then I remembered something that I'd completely forgotten, and that was, I had a very severe concussion when I was eight years old. Tobogganing down a hill, went straight headfirst into a tree. It was knocked out. In fact, I woke up several hours later. All the kids had run away because they thought they'd killed me, (laughs) and uh, I was left in the snow.
1: Did you? Did you know at that time, or did anyone know at the time, that that was a concussion, or was this...?
0: I never knew it was a concussion. I didn't. I just knew I was unconscious for a few hours, and I had trouble walking home, and I was weaving all over the place. So I remember thinking, pulling my toboggan, that I looked like someone who just couldn't walk straight. So no, I never put it together. Never told my parents.
1: What was the... you never told your parents?
0: I thought I'd get in trouble because I was very late for dinner.
1: And at the, you know, an eight-year-old saying, the reason I'm late is because I was tobogganing and I hit my head. Your parents are going to get mad. Well, what were you doing? You were doing something dangerous. Correct. That's your fault, right?
0: And therefore, it would have been my fault and I felt I'd be blamed.
1: And of course, at the time, concussion would be on no one's radar. Really, for an eight-year-old kid that you had suffered... A
0: not when I'm 64 now, I can <laughs> promise you, that wasn't considered.
1: So what was the immediate fallout from that? Did you connect, I mean, you're, you're eight, so maybe you're not, but you're an inquisitive person. Did you make any, did you have any symptoms after that, and did you make any initial uh, connection between that hit in the head and, and symptoms you had?
0: No, I, I had no connection, except I just had an occasional sore and tight neck. Okay. And, but then I went through a growth spurt mm-hmm. when I was around 12. I was six foot, I wish I still was, but I'm not. Uh, six foot at 12 and I was tall and very scrawny. That's when I started to get very severe headaches. And the neck would get just seize up and I wouldn't be able to move it. That's when I started to get the headaches with the nausea and the dizziness.
1: And that continued all throughout your, your, your teens? Yes, until it So finally did. somebody said, oh, you have arthritis.
0: But that was about 15 or 16, yes. So I went for years, really, I'm tight, I don't know why I'm tight.
1: What was that tightness?
0: It was the muscles that had been injured and, and they tightened.
1: And as you grew?
0: The, the skeleton grows much faster than the muscles. Therefore, they would overfatigue the muscles, and then they would tighten and bring on the symptoms, which, by the way, is exactly what you see with pediatric concussions. That's why they're viewed as difficult. People ignore the fact: children grow, and their symptoms get worse when they go through an abrupt growth spurt. And people think it's a reoccurrence of it, when in fact I'll say, no, the per- the child just grew, didn't they? And the mom will go, why, well, yes, four to six inches in the last few months of course muscles can't keep up so they fatigue they tighten and they bring on the same symptoms
1: i would imagine though even at 15 or 16 years old at that time not a lot of 15 or 16 year olds have arthritis
0: really no no it's uncommon
1: what i mean what was the 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 treatment for arthritis at that time
0: Take 24 aspirins a day.
1: Right. Probably literally, right?
0: I'm quite serious. Yeah. I was supposed to take 24 aspirins a day. That that was the arthritis foundation. That's what the rheumatologist told me. Needless to say, I ended up with a bleeding ulcer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So not hugely surprising as we look back. But that was the treatment. Yes.
1: But isn't this a common thing? I think a lot of people that don't realize that they've had a concussion at first. Um, You go through, you see all kinds of different doctors. You see all kinds of specialists. You never really get a great answer. Sometimes you might get a diagnosis and that seems to be sometimes where people want to stop.
0: Well, because it was viewed that there really wasn't a treatment for it.
1: Right. What about today though? Arthritis today, how do they treat arthritis today? If somebody says to a 15 or 16-year-old, you have arthritis, now what?
0: They put on better anti-inflammatories that aren't going to have all the gastric effects. But even then, most of them do have significant side effects. But the question still is never why. Why is there arthritis? They'll say, well, it's genetic. What caused it to be triggered? People don't look at that. Mm-hmm. There has to be something that is triggering it.
1: Well, and have, have any of these anti-inflammatories, I mean, they must in some cases, uh, but I know through my personal experience that, you know, asking doctors that are prescribing me a medication, well, will this get rid of the problem? And the answer was almost always, well, it is always, no, you're going to have to take this for the rest of your life. Correct, and maybe the efficacy will go down over time and you know we'll switch medications and whatever
0: and that's the standard answer
1: and that has become a bit of a status quo I mean how much is how much is it on uh, people like uh, specialists and doctors versus the, the patient themselves is it now time for a patients now that we know more and more to, to start taking more responsibility and saying wait a second this doesn't make a lot of sense
0: that's what should be occurring, but we're still a society that is taught to go to someone else to make us better. We're not being taught to be proactive, to take control of our own health. Because doctors say, well, we don't know what causes it, and they don't. And the research really isn't there to find out the why. Because ultimately, what drives any, any part of our society is money. And the money is pharmaceuticals. So if you get someone better, they don't need the pharmaceuticals. The money drives treatment, not cure. Our society wants immediate gratification, take a pill, feel better. The problem is you don't. No, you don't, but you do might for that short period. And we learn from the short-term response. Is If we feel better quickly, that's what we want to do. If we feel better in the long run, it isn't the same motivator. And by the way, don't think I'm against pharmaceuticals. I'd, I'd have been dead many times over, personally, if, I, if there weren't. So I'm pro the use of pharmaceuticals. It's just society has to learn how to address these things.
1: Right. And like we say, maybe the patient taking a little more responsibility. And what's interesting in your case, that's really what's happened. But it was somebody sort of prompting you. You said that dentist <laughs> that said, basically, you figure it out yourself. And. Luckily, you had a bit of a foundation at that time to kind of say, okay, yeah, I will. So let's get back on, on that track. Um, this dentist tells you during this time you're, you're in grad school, figure it out for yourself. You start doing a little a bit of research. Where does that start?
0: Well, my area of research was actually in muscle tension and blood flow and part of the autoimmune system so i knew that if you didn't have adequate blood flow and muscle it would contract and once you reduce blood flow you could not stretch the muscle out so it was like how do i increase blood flow and how do i alter that specific part of the autoimmune system and that was okay i can do it in the short term using electrotherapy which will start it along the right path But the only way you're going to maintain it is use the body's own natural mechanisms, which is then getting it involved in stretching, building the endurance back. So it maintains higher blood flow at all times. So you reduce the production of this compound, this inflammatory compound. The trap is, this one compound, it's a positive feedback, which means that the more you produce it, the more it constricts the blood flow, and therefore you produce even more of it, so it's a vicious circle. So you have to know how to intervene and break this cycle. And that's what the electrotherapy will do, and then you take it to the exercise, which will then take over, and it brings it back to normal. That's the goal. I was looking at the effect on the muscles as far as relaxation, and looking at the specific frequencies, but as I said, more importantly, I was actually looking at the blood work Looking at the blood as it came out of the muscle, that was being stimulated. And that's what actually demonstrated that there were changes in the levels of these inflammatory compounds. So I literally measured the fact that by altering specific frequencies, I could alter the production of an inflammatory compound or a non-inflammatory compound. That's actually from the work I did at the University of Guelph. But that is actually what gave me the understanding as to why this would actually drive it the way I wanted. So as to force part of the autoimmune system, now we're going to go back to the arthritis. Arthritis is alterations in the autoimmune system.
1: Okay. My understand. this is my very basic knowledge of, of arthritis, is that it been described to me as simply as inflammation in joints.
0: It's true. But shouldn't the question be, why is there inflammation in joints?
1: Yes, that (laughs) that, that seems like it would be the case. But that's not that is usually the the question after somebody says something like, you have this form of arthritis. It's usually now what not? Well, why? So where did you go with that question?
0: Well, the one thing I was seeing was people with chronic pain. They would have pain in their joints, a, a tremendous amount. And what I found was that was specific nerves, as they came out of the spinal column, were being pinched by muscles. So they're called radiculopathies, uh, and. It was these nerves being pinched then caused muscles to contract around joints. So now you're compressing joints, which would cause inflammation. And sure enough, if you stopped the pressure on that nerve, the joints, the muscles around the joints would relax and the person would have no pain. And by the way, it didn't matter what type of arthritis. That's what's really fascinating. So it didn't matter, for instance, there's no inflammation seen in fibromyalgia, but they have the pain in their joints. Okay, if you relax those uh, postural muscles, they lost the pain in the joints. But say it was someone with a different form, um, polymyalgia, which is a true inflammatory response, If you dealt with it in exactly the same way, the inflammation went away out of their joints and the doctors would actually send me blood work results demonstrating the inflammatory compounds no longer were produced. I found the same thing with rheumatoid arthritis, which, by the way, is actually caused by the compound that I am talking about altering with the machine. It's leukotriene B4. It's the same inflammatory compound. So I found people with rheumatoid arthritis were incredibly easy to help. Or they could end up on Remicade, which is something like fifteen to 20000 in an IV bag. By the way, it also destroys your kidney and liver. Mm-hmm. So the person has a choice of, do I live in pain or do I destroy my kidney and liver? But you know those people I've seen fly in from Vancouver, uh, East Coast, Northeast US, you can actually take, not just take their pain away, but they can keep it away. I had one woman that her blood work was done. She was diagnosed at 27. I saw her at 57. And her, her physician, she's a really good physician, monitored, of course, her blood work. And you know her inflammatory levels. Went to the lowest they'd been since she was first diagnosed 30 years before. Dramatic results. So this has implications for all forms of arthritis. But it's you have to think through models. Why do these things occur? It isn't, yes, it's important to know how do we go from here as far as a medication, but how do we prevent it? How do we stop it in early stages? So the person never gets the degenerative changes. And by the way, people with osteoarthritis, well, it's the strangest thing. They still have the same degenerative changes in the joints, but the pain goes away. Well, that's not supposed to happen, is it? But it does. And you see, that's where it clicked in that this uh, arthritis, form of arthritis I have Here's where there was a connection. Now, it was only about three years ago they realized that concussions actually often trigger autoimmune diseases. And it's specifically part of the autoimmune system that I'm addressing. A friend of mine who's an MD-PhD said, Terry, you're one of the most threatening people around. And I said, I'm one of the least threatening personalities around. He said, well, you are in your personality, but in your thought processes, you're making people think and question. And that's intimidating.
1: Why are you like that, do you think? Because of your personal experience? Is that why? Or do you just think you're, you're sort of wired that way?
0: I think it's a bit of both. Um, You know, I'm like that annoying four-year-old who keeps asking why. I'm afraid I'm still that annoying 64-year-old who's still asking why. Um, But I think I also question it based upon seeing my own experience of being told this is the way it is and recognizing no, it isn't. And through my life and through the work I've been doing, so many of the issues that I dealt with, the inability to sleep, uh difficulty concentrating and realizing if I changed certain muscle it altered a specific nerve. I could alter the function of my body by looking more in depth at how the body functioned. It had to be justifiable by the anatomy and by the physiology, not by the doctrines.
1: you got people that come from all over Canada, all over North America, really. Mm -hmm. And as I say, I've been through this a a bit and I know it's been 15 plus years for me and you see lots of different doctors and lots of different specialists. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get all kinds of different opinions. You get the, you get a lot of, there's a lot of tough moments Mm -hmm. along the way. You know, it's the pain, it's the not knowing. You know, uh, there's a lot of times you would walk away from an appointment that you waited six months to get, <laughs> yeah. with nothing concrete, and it's really deflating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're starting, you're you're getting really life changing results. What does it mean to be able to give that joy and that life back to people?
0: worth more than anything you can possibly imagine actually so, wow sorry you just hit a button there it really does you're able to give someone back a life and a lot of people that I've seen have missed their lives because of it they haven't had a life so to be able to give them something so they have a useful life there's nothing more value than that nothing so and yeah. Thank God it's not a video. <laughs> uh, I mean,
1: to be honest, I, th- I think the, the healing process for me starts with the first meeting with you that for somebody to go, oh, that makes sense. Do you notice that change even in that first meeting? Before any work has really even happened?
0: People will say I've been able to relax for the first time because for one thing you believe me because most people get so they're not believed. And secondly, you gave me some rational reasons that fit, and nothing else fit. They listen to it and they go, well, that's logical for the first time. They're not just pulling something out of the air, you're measuring something that can change. You can watch people change as you sit there and watch them. Their face changes, their body language changes. It's huge. Absolutely huge.
1: Do you think you would have gotten to this point, gotten the results, had the the breakthroughs and the results that you've had if you hadn't gone through this personally?
0: No. No, I don't. Because it, one of the big advantages was I basically had every symptom that anyone's ever described to me. And that's what all the specialists are like, this doesn't make sense, because you have symptoms this long. but So people will describe things, oh yeah, yeah, okay, it's like this, right? And they're like, how do you know? So no, it was being able to know it, and also know how horrendous it is, that it drives you. you. There's nothing that drives you like that. Because you know what it's like for some to live with it. You do not want to see them ever go through that crap. And sorry that that's still just as fiery a feeling now as it was 30 years ago, just as much. Doesn't change because in many ways, Brian, are you ever going to forget what you've been through? No, you won't. Now things get a little blurry, but doesn't take change. The gut response to it. My gut response to it hasn't changed. So it drives me just as hard.
1: talks podcast is brought to you by mmtr a research-based physiotherapy clinic in guelph ontario specializing in post-concussion treatment to find out more about mmtr please visit mmtrphysiotherapy.ca for terry moore i'm brian goman thanks for listening to terry talks